Ephesians chapter 6. Take your Bible, if you would, join us in Ephesians chapter 6. While you're turning, I may have told you this before, but there's the story of the little girl that is seated on the counter and her mom's in the kitchen. And um, her mom is, is, you know, preparing dinner and the little girl, she's just a little girl. And she's sitting there and she's just watching her mom and, and uh, thinking about life and her mom and dinner. And, and she notices something about her mom that she hadn't noticed before. And her mom's hair is this deep brunette, you know, color. And she looks at her mom and she sees a few white strands of hair that are streaking her mom's otherwise dark brown hair. And the little girl looks at her mom and she says, Mommy, why do you have those white hairs on your head? And her mom thought and she looked at her little girl and she said, Well, she said, every time you do something bad or make mommy cry or feel sad, I get one of those white hairs. And the little girl thought and she looked really sad and then she looked startled and she says, Mommy, Grandma has all white hairs. <laughs> okay, so how many of you have caused your parents a few gray hairs? Let's just be honest here, okay. And so I suspect that if we look back over the course of our own lives, we have been the cause of some consternation on the part of our parents. And tonight we're going to address something that is going to be very specifically directed towards fathers. But before we get to dads, we're going to cover in some kind of a, a, of a necessary fashion what Ephesians chapter 6 instructs us regarding before we get to what will be the title of our sermon tonight and that is nurture and admonition nurture and admonition tonight I'm talking to a few folks before the service and I'm just walking around greeting people and um, one of the, the the wives said I asked my husband today if he was going to be listening tonight nudge nudge uh, because I said I'm going to be addressing fathers and then um, one of the, one of the uh, wives came in today and she says, I brought lots of paper for notes tonight, okay? Well, we are going to address dads, but we, the passage that we're looking at is broader than, than dad-specific, and the principles are broader than father-specific as well. So let's look, beginning Ephesians chapter 6, beginning in verse number 1. First of all, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right, Honor thy father and thy mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with thee, that thou mayest live long on the earth. That's where the phrase, I brought you into this world, I can take you out of it, came from. And then verse number four, and you fathers, and here we're addressing a parent specifically, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Well, you and I know that we are actually born rebels. Now, to rebel literally gives us an understanding of something, to rebel, to go against authority or rules. But really, to, to abbreviate the idea or definition of rebellion, rebellion is believing a lie. Rebellion is believing that I know more than the one who has instructed me, or I have a better plan than the rule or commandment that has been given to me. So we're, we're born rebels. 
And children who grow up with this rebellion towards parental authority are ultimately going to grow to despise not only man's authority, but God's as well. We're going to look at, before we get to the parent, and that is specifically the father and more generally a dad and a mom, we're going to address a couple things that lead us to a father's um, directive to bring them up in nurture and admonition. The first thing that we're going to look at this evening is what we'll call the precept. The precept. Now, you can see that we have the precept that children obey your parents, but, but let's look at something that God gave to us as an example in the Old Testament, and it puts together something that I read about years ago. In fact, when I was um, a youth pastor, you know, many moons ago, I can remember coming across someone that explained to me some things from a passage in the Old Testament. I'm going to reference Exodus chapter 33, verse number 13. Exodus 33, 13. Look at what the Bible says here. Now, therefore, I pray thee, if I have found grace in thy sight, this is Moses speaking to God. He said, show me now thy way that I may know thee, that I might find grace in thy sight. Do you understand what Moses is asking? He's saying, God, show me your ways so that I can come to know you. All right, here's what he's saying. He's saying, all right, I think if I can figure out why you're doing something, the way you are doing things, the, the precepts. Now, if we wanted to use precept and expand on that, we'd say the commands, the directives, the, the rules. Show me your ways. Okay, God, what are you commanding of us? What are you directing us to do? Which direction do you want us to go? God, if you show me your ways, I'm going to start to figure out you. Have you ever studied a person that is um, an administrator or an overseer or a boss of some type? Have you ever studied the person and when you start to figure out their ways, you're actually starting to figure out the person? And Moses understood, God, show me your precepts, because if I can figure out your precepts, I'm actually going to start to understand you. Remember Ephesians 6, 1 and 2, children, obey your parents. Okay, now here is the precept. This is the directive. This is the command in the Lord for this is right. And then he follows it up with another one. Honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment. The precept, okay, this is the directive that I am called to do. The command, the, the precept again here is pretty straightforward. It is to obey and honor. One commentator said it this way, for the rest of their lives, the children are to render honor to their mothers and fathers as the human authors of their being, as those who loved them, protected them, taught them, sacrificed for them. Failure to honor one's parents, now listen to this, Failure to honor one's parents is an insult to the God who chose them. So, well, I have a hard time honoring my parents. I know that can be challenging because there are no perfect parents. We can always fall the, find the fault or the fissure in, in the facade of the parent. But, but that doesn't negate the directive, the precept, the command of God. He said, children, honor your father and your mother. The word honor in Exodus chapter 12, verse number 20. 
when we're told there, okay, children, honor thy father and thy mother. First commandment with promise that it may be well with thee, that thou mayest live long on the earth. The word is, the, the Hebrew word is kabed. kabed. It, it literally means to give weight to, to give weight to. Okay, how is it that we honor our parents? And we do this all the days of our life. How do we do that? Well, we give weight to the words, the instruction, even the position of father and mother. How is it that we honor them? Well, a couple practical ways, and we're going to touch again on these briefly. But if you're a child here today, and that would mean all of us, because all of us are the children of parents. Now, let me be more specific. If, if you're the child living in the home of dad or mom, here's some things that, that would sit well with you in an attempt to honor father and mother. What, what do we do? Well, first of all, acknowledge them. Like, acknowledge them. You know, if, if you're um, a, a teenager here in church this evening, one of the challenges is we start to distance ourselves from dad and mom as we grow older and as we become more independent and as we're, you know, kind of, kind of carving out who we are and some space on our own. Do you know one of the things that you do that honors your dad and your mom is actually acknowledge them. Like you see them in public or around your friends to, to, to give some acknowledgement to your parent. Like, hey, dad, hey, mom to recognize their presence, to speak with them when they come into the room, to, to remove yourself from that which is immediately before you. Yeah, well, I was, I was in the middle of a game or I was watching something or I was texting a friend or, wow, if you really want to give weight to your dad and your mom, like if somebody that's the most important person you can think of came in the room, you, you'd say, man, I'm going to stop everything because so-and-so's in the room. Well, the person that you're actually called upon to honor is your dad and your mom. Acknowledge them. Like, this is my dad. This is my mom. Look and listen when they speak. Look at them. Listen to them when they speak. It's not like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not this passing idea. It's not like, I'll give that consideration and see if it bears any merit. It's like, oh, dad and mom are speaking. They're speaking. That means I'm listening right now. Include them instead of isolating them from your life. Prefer time with them over friends. You say, oh, come on. Really, prefer time with dad and mom? Like if dad and mom say, hey, listen, we're going to do this as a family. Oh, no, I was going to do this with my friends and I was going to. Years ago, we were, um, we were roofing the garage so I grew up in a, in a house in Adrian, Michigan, old house. The house was back when I was a kid. It was uh, over 100 years old. Now it's over 250. And so it's an old house. And so um, we were going we to um, roof the old garage. And so dad's like, okay, Jeffrey, come on. We're heading out to work on the roof. And I, as soon as he said that, we'd been working on it. But as soon as he said that, I'm like, oh, dad. Dad, I'm going down the park. There's a park right down the block from where I grew up, a little park called West Park, and, and we played ball down there. And, and I'm like, Dad, I'm meeting. I want to go play some, friends, play some ball with my friends. We're, we're playing over at West Park. And my dad looked at me, and my dad said, and I'll never forget it, my dad said, Jeffrey, when I was your age, I'd have given anything to have had a dad that wants to show me things that I want to show you. So what do you want to do? I'm going to roof dad with you today okay 
And so dad and I went out and roofed. I can remember at the end of that project, it's still, it's, it's very vivid in my mind today. My dad, and uh, so I was helping my, my brother Terry. I don't know if my brother Rob was old enough then, but I can remember dad making a big deal about um, Jerry and Son's roofing company, you know. And then we had these, these little lines that I could still quote to you today that came from our time roofing the garage. Do you know what honor says? It says, hey, listen, it might be work. It might be something that, like, that's not my first choice of things to do. But if I get to do this with my parent, I prefer time with dad and mom, even over time with my friends. Um, Ask questions about them. Know their history. Hey, dad, what did you do when? Hey, mom, what was it like to... Find out about your parents. Do you know, when we ask questions about people, it shows our interest, our desire to know them for who they are. Uh, Make them look good in front of others. Do you want to honor your parents? Make your parents look good in front of others. Like, you know what my dad's so good at? Or I'm so grateful for my mom because she always... When you reference your parents... To honor your dad and your mom, make them look good in front of others. And then I might just add as well, care for them when they are aging. Care for them when they are aging. There are a lot of different ways to do that, and that doesn't look the same for every family. But care for your dad and your mom as they are aging. Well, this is the the precept, honor thy father and thy mother, the command. We go a little bit further and we look at the principle behind the precept. Remember, show me now thy ways that I may know thee. I'm going to start figuring out the principles of how God works. Exodus 13, um, 33, 13 again. Now, therefore, I pray thee, if I have found grace in thy sight, show me now thy way that I may know thee. Find grace in thy sight. We get to the principle behind the precepts. The principle is when I get to know God's ways, I'm getting to know God. It actually is precept principle we're not going to spend a lot of time on the third one but it's person the commands there's a command and then there's always something behind that a principle for example the command would be thou shalt not commit adultery okay there's a purity principle behind the command and then what do I learn okay so the command thou shalt not commit adultery the principle behind the command purity the person behind the principle is a god who knows no evil. He is perfect and just, pure in all his ways. You know, the more we get to know about the the precepts of God, the more we'll see the principles behind them and the more clearly we'll see the person of God. Okay, so the principle. We've got this precept. This is a command, children obey and honor. And then we've got this principle We have to understand that when a child obeys their parents, they're obeying the greater principle of obedience to a structure of authority, which ultimately is obedience to God. This principle is something that will serve any person all the days of their life. Okay, now don't raise your hand, but how many of you can think of an instance in your life where you've had a hard time coming underneath the structure of authority? I don't understand it. I wouldn't do it that way. This is frustrating to me. How many of you have ever had that like, ah, this is hard to come underneath that structure of authority? Listen, all authority comes from God. 
God's authority is perfect. We don't execute his ways perfectly, but if we have authority, it is the direct result of God distributing authority. We saw that last week when we were talking about Romans chapter 13, the powers that be are ordained by God. Okay, so a parent has authority, and if a child learns to come underneath that structure of authority, a child is actually learning now a principle that's going to serve them all the days of their life. Now, let's add this to the mix. We have to understand for a child to obey, they must be first given a command. Now, this is, this is vitally important. I know this sounds basic and, and maybe like, can we move on past this? But we can't move past this until we start to understand you and I will never have any, any clash with a problem unless we are given some command, some directive. Uh, how many of you, again, don't raise your hand, but how many of you, you ever had uh, problems with your children when you, when you had them in public that you didn't necessarily have when you were at home? Did you ever notice, like, why are my kids so bad everywhere else except home? Um, like, oh man, as soon as we go here or as soon as we go there, it sometimes seems like the challenges explode and we have all these issues and we don't have so many at home. This is not always the case. And certainly there's, the kids are then being placed in new circumstances. They haven't faced that before. They're tired. They're hungry. All of those things really do play a part. But sometimes the reason why a parent may have a challenge publicly when they give instruction to a child is they haven't been doing so privately, personally in the home. There's a pattern that we see of this principle in Scripture. For example, Genesis 18, 19. For I know him, and this is God speaking about Abraham, that he will, notice these words, command his children and his household after him. So parents have to do the work of giving their children something to obey. This is done by means of a command. There's a lot that's being said and written today, of which I don't disagree, regarding what a child ultimately needs to have, and that is he needs to have an understanding that my sin is an offense to God, and, and God's been gracious to me, and, and out of his goodness and love to me, I want to, I desire to obey him. But it doesn't negate the directive that parents are given to command their children. This starts to look different as a child ages and grows. And now teaching and training a child to start to command themselves. That's character training. But it all has to begin with a parent who understands the value of commanding a child. And that means uh, at times a very young child understanding the reality and the, the strong intention of a parent's no, you cannot. Without a command, again, there is no ability to teach a child. So the principle of obedience is bigger than a person's parents. It's the order that God has set forth upon which we all operate. This matter of obedience is serious in God's sight. Uh, Satan rebelled against the principle of obedience, and he did his own thing. Jesus submitted to the principle and became obedient, even the point of obedience, even to the death of the cross. 
Okay, so briefly, we understand there's a precept, there's a principle, and then let me just touch on it because it's there. There is a promise, and the promise is wonderful. Ephesians 6, 3 says, that it may be well with thee, and that thou mayest live long on the earth. Okay, life is better when you honor your parents. I mean, we could put a big period and exclamation point following that. There's no getting around a special promise from God. Listen, honor your father and your mother. Why? That it may be well with thee. The words that it may be well with thee, they're significant and a part of this promise. Do you want your children, and we should ask this, do you want your children to honor you? And the answer is, well, yes. Then we're to set the the example for our children by honoring our parents as well. Do you want life to treat you well? Well, then treat your parents well. Many of the challenges we face in our lives would be resolved if we were to take the Word of God in every aspect that it gives us instruction and take it seriously. We can't remove this primary command, part of the Ten Commandments, that represents the very holiness of God and expect life to treat us well. Proverbs 30, 17 says it this way. It says, The eye that mocketh at his father and despiseth to obey his mother The ravens of the valley shall pick it out. The young eagles shall eat it. Sadly, there are in our age many that have so disregarded their parents that I think the the biblical result, the consequence has come, and that is they literally can't see life clearly. Okay, so the child that disregards their parents, they, they, I don't have any time for them, In fact, the the admonition that we see here, it says, the eye that mocketh at his father despiseth to obey his mother. I mock my dad. I have no time for him. I despise my mom, the instruction that she gives. The Bible says literally this person is going to have a hard time seeing life as it truly is. They have no vision for that which is to be before them. Okay, let's get to the parents and most specifically These are directives to fathers. Now remember, the Bible is wonderfully balanced, and it doesn't command children to obey without giving a word of instruction to parents. And this is, again, specifically to fathers. We we oftentimes spend a lot of time talking to children. Children obey, uh, children honor. But again, because the Bible puts all things together perfectly, it now gives instruction to parents regarding their actions, and again, specifically fathers. Notice what it says in verse number four. And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. So in Colossians, um, Paul repeats several of these important themes. In Colossians 3.21, he said it this way. He said, fathers, provoke not your children to anger, lest they be discouraged. And earlier in the book of Ephesians, uh, Paul gives, in a sense, kind of a, a key that helps unlock some principles for fathers that keeps them from reproducing something in their children's life that is a challenge in their own life. And that's typically what we do. When, when I have a challenge in my own life, I start to see those things crop up in the lives of others. And so Paul earlier, he says, hey, this is an important principle. When we get this, it actually saves us from some later problems. Notice what he says um, earlier, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 31. It's not directed to fathers, it's directed to believers. But wow, how helpful for dads. 
Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. What he says, he says, okay, bitterness, wrath, anger, malice, all part of that same seething pot of sin. He says, let it, put, let it be put far from you. In other words, th- these things are not supposed to attach to you. Do you know an, an angry father or a father struggling with bitterness in the home will find that he begins to reproduce the very same. So, so Paul says earlier, he says, okay, let all of these things be put away from you. Why? Well, because if this is my life, what am I going to be doing? I'm going to be provoking my own children to wrath. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse number 15, we understand the the broad, far-reaching effects of bitterness. Looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God. In other words, the grace of God is sufficient for me to handle my challenge. And then he says, lest any root, if I don't do this, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. So now the thing that I didn't deal with, I didn't appropriate the sufficient grace of God. This was hard for me. This was challenging. Something happened that wasn't right. The grace of God is enough. It's timely. It's sufficient. It's enough. It's there to meet the challenge. But I didn't appropriate the grace of God. So now what happens in my life? Wow, now something sprung up in me. The little seed that was planted and not rooted up by the grace of God, that took root. And now something springs up and it troubles me and thereby many others are defiled. Next week, I'd be grateful for your prayers. This last week, um, Pastor Gorley was at Southland. They saw a number of kids saved and just a really wonderful week of camp. And I'll be at Kobiak um, I'm starting tomorrow. And I'd be grateful, honestly, genuinely grateful for your prayers through the course of the week at Kobiak. And one of the messages, I don't know if I'll preach it this week or not, but one of the messages I've often preached at teen camps is a message on bitterness. And I've had a number of camp directors come afterwards and say, man, I was surprised. He said, you know, bitterness to teens is not a typical message. But he says, I'm just blown away at the number of responses. Like the volume of teenagers responding to a message on bitterness And they might ask why, and of course, I can't pretend to know all the reasons why, but somehow some seed spread to them, and thereby many are defiled. Fathers, provoke not. Okay, to provoke to anger suggests in our passage a repeated ongoing pattern of treatment that gradually builds up deep-seated anger and resentment. And then it boils over to hostility, provoke to anger. At times, I think as dads, sometimes well-meaning but ill-done, at times dads can poke at their kids in such a way that it's no longer fun. 
Do you know humor should always be used in such a way to relieve tension as opposed to cause it? Let me say that again. Humor should always be used in such a way that we're actually relieving tension. Like, oh, wow, a merry heart doeth good like a medicine, but a broken spirit drieth the bones. Okay, so when we use humor, and humor becomes like for everybody, like, oh, that was such a good release of tension. Now we have something shared in common, something that we're all enjoying. When humor is used at someone else's expense, and now they might be laughing on the outside, but we've caused some tension internally. We're using a gift from God in a poor way. And sometimes fathers can, can continually poke just, just that jab. Some intention like, I, I'm just having fun with my kids. I, I know, but are you relieving tension or causing it? And that, that continual poking, it, it builds up. And now there is a little jab here. A little barb there, and eventually our children start to resist and are frustrated, then angered, then bitter. It's not the only reason, of course. What are some of the reasons why we provoke our children to wrath? Let me mention some just briefly. First of all, overprotection. Overprotection. As a child grows, they must have an ability to exercise age-appropriate decision-making. In our culture today, we do find that there seems to be almost a smothering of parental attention and direction. Like, like a parent who just continually has to do everything for that child, give continual direction, give continual, you know, a command of when a child really has to start coming to a place where they make decisions and actually make mistakes. Uh, sometimes it can just be a preferential matter. Listen, as a parent, I probably wouldn't do it that way, but I'm going to give my child the freedom to and again, that doesn't mean complete freedom, but it does mean that they start to make age-appropriate decisions. Uh, another one of those provoking is continual comparison. We must recognize the uniqueness of each child. We must guard ourselves from showing favoritism and especially in the presence of some of our other children. We should never say, why can't you be more like? Be because God didn't make them like. And so, at times, it is this continual comparison that is a provoking of our children. Uh, then, unrealistic expectations or pressure to achieve. Did you ever, you ever think about the idea that when we constantly praise our children for outcomes, a child learns that they have to constantly perform to get praise? Like maybe they worked and they prepared for, but they didn't quite meet the mark that they, were, that they were striving for. So then we said, well, maybe next time. Maybe work harder next time. And, and um, you know, oh, I know I'm as disappointed as you are. But do you know when we praise a child for the character that it took to prepare for? Hey, listen, um, maybe they make the... This is an easy illustration, but maybe they make the winning shot on a basketball game. Oh, I can't believe you made that shot. That shot was so great. Oh, wow, what an exciting time. And oh, we were so proud of you. 
Maybe it would be better to say, let me tell you, I am so proud of you for being out on the basketball court for so many lonely hours taking that jump shot. I'm telling you, it really was fun to watch you do what I have seen you do a thousand times out on the driveway. That kind of effort that they're putting forth to actually be able to bring that kind of result, the effort is what we praise. And then the result is kind of like the, 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 the cherry on the top of the iced cake. Unreal expectations. Then instruction without encouragement. When we only instruct and fail to encourage, it discourages our children. They start to think, why should I even try? We give direction for this, we give instruction for this, we, we just constantly give the directives, the instruction, the, this is the way, but we don't give the proper encouragement that, hey, good job at that. You're starting to get this. Hey, I just wanted to say thanks for doing this. Do you know, I didn't even ask you to do this, and that really meant a lot to me. Thanks for doing that. That kind of encouragement, it just registers in a deep way with our children that the constant instruction does not. And then, let me mention this one last, overprotection of reputation. Our children quickly learn if our correction of them is because of your love of them or our love of our reputation. We should love our children and our reputation will take care of itself. Um, how many children, you know, in some way, shape, or form fail? Well, that would be all of them. You know, at times, and especially in, in a Christian world, and we live in an, an, a Christian world, so to speak. In this church, we have a lot of people that hold positions where a lot of other people look to them in a ministry fashion. And so our church is made up of a lot of people who do have recognizably important, visible positions. And you know, if we correct our children because of what that means for our position, our children understand that we're really protecting our position and not as concerned about our children. Listen, our children are a greater priority than are our positions. Positions come and go. They're there for a time, they're there for a season, but a family is something that you are all the days of your life. What is one of those things that, in a sense, kind of is that poke, that, that um, you know, that, that thing that causes a child to feel like, wow, I'm being provoked to wrath. When we correct our child because they embarrassed us, not because what they did should be corrected. We could spend more time on this, but our time's gone. Nurture, that word means correct. It is all encompassing. It's the Greek word that we get the word pedagogy from. It's this art of teaching. So dads, you say, well, I'm not a good teacher. Listen, you're tasked with, if you had a responsibility at work and you say, I'm gonna have to learn how to do this. I'm gonna have to step up because this is my job. One of the most important jobs that we've been given is the job to parent. And so what are we supposed to do? Bring them up in the nurture, the pedagogy. Okay, this is the way that something is supposed to be done. It's now this art of becoming a good teacher. Nurture and admonition. That's the instruction. Okay, so I'm a teacher, and here's the way that this child best receives instruction. 
And for those of you that have raised children and, and multiple children, you've probably quickly came to the realization, my children are all different. So I teach this one this way. Uh, this works really well with this one. Uh, this one, we had to do something completely different. Do you know what you're doing? You're admonishing. Okay, the art of teaching, nurture, and admonition. How do I instruct this child? And then it, the, the words bring them up in, bring them up in. To bring them up doesn't mean the same thing as send them up. It's, it's hey, I'm on, a, I'm on a faith journey myself. I'm learning to walk more carefully with Jesus every day of my life. So let's bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Listen, I'm a student and I want to learn these things. And so come on, come on, let, let's walk this together. There, there's a beautiful proverb that I think is a, is a wonderful proverb for any dad. It's Proverbs 23, 26. It says, my son, give me thine heart. And let thine eyes observe my ways. Isn't that a powerful combination? My son, I'm asking for something. I'm asking maybe for the most valuable thing that you have to offer. One of these days, you're going to give this to my child, okay? My, my son, my daughter. You're going to give this away to somebody else. But right now, while I have you, my son, my daughter, give me thine heart. And wow, think about this. And let thine eyes observe my ways. I'm inviting you to examine my life. I'm asking for your heart. I'm inviting your inspection. Wow, what a, what a sobering thought, Dad. We do want our children's heart, but sometimes we don't want them to notice ours too closely. May we invite our children to observe our ways, and as they do, they're going to see a guy who doesn't do the Christian life perfectly, but he is earnestly doing the Christian life. He wants to know Jesus Christ more carefully tomorrow than he does today. He stumbles and he falls, but he also realizes that, that, that there's a difference between the wicked man and the just man. The just man falls seven times, but he rises up again. But the wicked, keep, they fall into mischief. Listen, my son, my daughter, come on, give me your heart. Walk with me. And oh, I fell there, but, but I'm not going to stay down. There might be times when I have to sit the family down and I have to say, hey, dad has to ask your forgiveness for something. Listen, I did this. I'm sorry that I did this. I'm asking you to forgive me. And do you know what they're seeing? They're seeing the reality of the Christian life. We won't take time to do this tonight. We'll, we'll close it with my son, give me thine heart. And uh, we'll consider looking at the interaction that God, the Father, has with God the Son in such a beautiful example he continues to lay out for fathers.